Corinthians and the fifth chapter. Beginning at verse 1, hear the word of the true and living God. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Praise God for that portion of scripture. May it be applied to each one of our hearts. In response to the scripture reading, let us sing from Psalter 350, all stanza. i uh-huh. 
Let us now confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed from the heart. What do you believe, Christian? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now come before our God in prayer. Let us pray. Glorious Lord Jehovah, we do come unto you as your covenant people, unto our covenant God. You have sealed your covenant promises and your covenant requirements unto each one of us in our baptism. And you have spoken to us in your covenant word, even that word which says we must rest in and obey the covenant mediator, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you have provided, for all that you are for your people, for all that you provide for your people, for all that you accomplish in and for your people. All things, O Lord, are appointed of you for the good of your people, for the good of those chosen unto everlasting life, for the good of those who um, respond to the covenant promises and heed the the covenant requirements. May all these things, O Lord, be well understood by us, For we are those greatly privileged as those separated from this world to hear from the preaching every week and to worship and honor you. And we ask, Lord, that these things would not leave us worse off than before. They would not leave us with hardened hearts nor a disposition that is against the God of heaven, but rather that we would be softened, that we would be chastened, that we would be humbled, that we would be instructed in the way of true righteousness, godliness, and faith, that your word would be as it is in truth, life itself unto your people. And may it please you, O Lord, that we would especially live as your covenant people throughout this week. That we would be so caught up with the sight of your glory that we would come to recognize that everything we think, everything we say, everything that we do, it all traces back to you. Are we doing what you would require of us? Will you search us out, we pray, expose for us everything that is amiss, everything that is compromised, everything which is contrary 
to the faith once for all delivered unto the saints, and provide in rich measure the power of your grace and spirit whereby we may root out every trace of evil, sin, malice, envy, bitterness, compromise, cowardice, or whatever it may be. Help us, Lord, to be strong in you, for our sufficiency is not of ourselves, it is of you. It is of the bountiful supply, which is in your dear Son. We pray, Lord, for those who would long to come here but uh, cannot. We think in a special way of Martha Dyer, and we ask, Lord, that in her infirmity and in her health challenges that prevented her from coming this afternoon, that you would especially give her a sense of your presence where she is. But likewise, Lord, each and every one of us, as we take stock of the things done in the past week and the things yet to do this coming week, we would not be distracted by these things, but that rather this would be a time consecrated unto you as the God of heaven and earth, the one with whom, in whom we live and move and have our being, the one who is mighty, powerful, strong to save, and yet will certainly punish the guilty and the unbelieving. We pray, Lord, for our nation in these days, and we know that there are great challenges for our leaders, that there is great challenges for our nation and the citizens thereof. There is also disobedience. There is also transgression and rebellion. This nation has not lived up to its motto of surrendering to the one who has a right to reign from sea unto sea. But rather we have walked in our own way and we have become an apostate nation, turned away from the light of your truth and the grace of your gospel. May it please you, O Lord, to grant a rich supply of repentance, revival, reformation unto the church and nation of Canada in order that there would be a testimony that there is a God amongst us and that he will certainly receive all those who come unto him by the name of Jesus Christ in the way of true repentance and faith. We pray, Lord, for our extended family members, for those whom we know who are not walking with you. We pray, Lord, for their conversion, for those who are walking with you, we thank you for them, and we thank you for the grace you have provided to them. For our neighbors, Lord, for this city, we pray, will you rend the heavens and come down? Will you cause an invasion of this this passing world by means of your mighty power, drawing many sons unto glory? Help us, each and every one, we pray, to hear the word of truth, and to have it engrafted in us, and to respond with true repentance and faith. Help us in these things, we pray. Help your servant to preach. Help your people to listen. And may all things be done unto your glory. Forgive our many sins for the sake of the blood and death of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now sing from Psalter um, 242. Stanzas one to four.
People of the congregation of the Lord, will you turn with me again to the book of 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, and the 18th verse. We'll look at the first part of verse 18 now. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Well, I'm sure that many of you, and in fact all of you, in, in some way have heard of that most famous of kings of the Old Testament, King Solomon. And his greatest achievement was certainly that he was chosen of the Lord as the one who built the temple there in Jerusalem. All the servants of the Lord before him were not given this honor, not even his father David. It was he who was tasked to build this great structure, this great house of, of worship, of gold and of jewels and of, of many uh, great and impressive things. And we would read in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, that when the time was nearing for this uh, great project and calling, this holy man offered uh, the following prayer, which I will now read. Second Chronicles chapter 2. Behold, I build a house to the name of the Lord my God to get it, dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense and for the continual showbread and for the burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths and on the new moons, and on the solemn feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance for ever to Israel. And the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. But who is able to build him a house, seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a house, save only to burn sacrifice before him. So you see that uh, even though he was tasked and equipped by the Lord God for this calling, that from this prayer we can see that his heart was so consumed by the greatness of God that he saw himself as, as utterly unworthy to the task. And even the, the calling itself seemed to be very small and insignificant compared to his greatness. He says, doesn't he, that even the heaven or the sky above or the heavens of heavens, you know, all of the universe, it is not sufficient to contain the Lord God. And if you would think about it, not only is God bigger than the universe, if we may speak in such a way, but he's actually infinitely greater. He is compared to the universe infinitely and incomprehensibly more massive and immense. He is without limit, without beginning or end. And all of the universe is small in comparison. And so it was with this mindset that he began to undertake this task of serving God. 
so it would be for each one of us. Each one of us, if we are truly the Lord's people, do we not have a calling and a task before us? No matter whether in, in singleness or in a marriage, whether with an ecclesiastical office in the church or through the office of all believers, whether in a, a job or, or in the community, whatever it may be, we have a calling and a task for the Lord. And if we would truly serve him in the way that he would have us, we must have a consuming sense of the greatness of God. Nothing else is sufficient to truly equip us for the humility and for the reverence which is really required for such a servant. And we see this also in the example of the Lord's servant Paul. As we've been considering uh, throughout this chapter, we've grown to see something of his in, in something of his heart something of what truly motivates him as he seeks to serve the Lord in his ministry. And as we are closing or nearing the close of this uh, fifth chapter, we see that he is uh, grounding all of his motivations in the very central truths of the gospel itself. And here in the first part of verse 18, you see how he is taken up with the greatness of God. That is a task that I would uh, like to have this afternoon with the Lord's help to unfold that theme of the greatness of God from this verse 18 or the first part of it. And I'd like to see uh, two things from this. First, let's see God's greatness in relation to all things. And second, let's see God's greatness in reconciliation. So God's greatness in relation to all things and in reconciliation. So Paul here, he has just spoken of the the marks of a true Christian. A true Christian does not uh, think according to the flesh, not of others, and not of Christ. And this owes, as we saw this morning, to that glorious grace of regeneration, the new birth, whereby the Christian is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. And precisely how we understand these next words, and all things are of God, it is somewhat um, contested among expositors. And I won't get into all the in- interpretations here, but it seems to me that what Paul is saying is, is quite clear. So you recall that in the, the previous verse, he spoke of how all things are become new. And that is true in the experience and the life of the believer because, as, as we saw, this is part of the grand plan and mission of the Lord Jesus to reconcile all things in an absolute sense. All this wide creation is to be the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ as he 
consummates all things upon his return and brings his chosen people unto the glory of the saints of light. And I think that as something of both the, the, the experience of the believer in light of this great eschatological reality, speaking of the, the history of redemption and the consummation of all things, I think it's quite natural that Paul at this point should make a very short but profound statement of the greatness of God in relation to all things, that all things are of God. I think even that word God, if we would not be so jaded to become used to it, it, it even that word, even that name, we should see is the most profound thing imaginable. Revelation of the character of the great divine first cause of all things. The one who has life of himself, God. And he spoke of in relation to all things, but we do well to to first just pause and say, what do we mean when we speak of God? You know, the people uh, in the world, unfortunately, if you would just take the time to speak to them, while even the unbeliever cannot completely uh, expunge the, the reality that, that a God exists, that he is righteous and he will hold them to account, yet there's... There's really a very murky and, and a very distorted view of, of who God is, what it is that we are speaking about. Right now in our family, we're working through the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and, and uh, we're really appreciating that. But, but the definition of God there, which is, is very famous, is this. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. All this indeed is gathering together quite a lot of of theological language, but I think we can come to see that that, uh, this is where we must um, where we must think whenever we see the name of God, because this is what the, the Bible teaches, that God indeed exists, that he is distinct from all things, that he is greater than all things, that not only is he without beginning or end, he is eternal, he is without limit, he is infinite, he is without change, but as well he is one who possesses perfect wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And that especially is drawn out where it says all things are of God. All things. Such a profound statement. And yet, if you would would pause to think... There is something that each one of us can grab hold of, I think. 
which one we woke up this morning and we experienced something of the, the many things that populate this universe, the things we can touch, the things we can see, the things we can hear. Everything that uh, would inhabit our minds and that we would reflect upon, it, it first comes to us through these senses. And we're given minds to comprehend and to, to extrapolate and to consider, but, but it's through the, the tangible, through the visible, through the, the reality around us that we first come acquainted with those things outside our own mind. And it's this where also knowledge of God would begin. Yes, there is a distinction between all things and the God from whom they come. And yet, because they are all from God, they can each uh, in some way testify to something of God. So, uh, to come up with an example in many parts of the Bible, and especially the Psalms, you hear about God described as a rock rock of our salvation or, or like uh, descriptions. You can see a rock. You can see it is permanent. It is unchanging. It is durable. It will support your weight. So the scripture teaches that if you would reflect upon something even like that, it would carry your mind up and lead your hand to eternal and spiritual realities. There are greater things than that. You reflect upon the people around you, upon all of the great beauties of nature. Each one, doesn't it dazzle with the genius of the one from whom it comes? Everything, in some measure, in a, in a smaller way, in a, in a, in a puny and, and incomparably uh, inferior way, it testifies of the infinite greatness of the one from whom it comes. Paul has, has great reason for reflecting upon this because when we lose sight of this, when we lose sight of who God is and his greatness, then our mind becomes very, uh, very man-centered, very temporal-centered, and we're losing sight of what truly matters. That was the danger in the church of Corinth and the danger for us as well, that we lose sight of the greatness of God. And so let's, uh, let's go to another passage that would highlight also this truth to the uh, 40th chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, let's begin reading at verse 25. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their hosts by number. 
He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. See, uh, there the prophet Isaiah is seeking uh, to be the mouthpiece for the Lord as the Lord has commissioned him. And as he speaks for the Lord, he, he speaks to the covenant people of God and asks them to consider the incomparable greatness of their God. He is the Holy One. He is the one who is incomparably perfect and righteous without defilement. And whom shall we liken him to? How shall we come to some understanding of the greatness of God? Well, here in verse 26 of Isaiah 40, he wants us to look up at the stars. That's what it means by the hosts of Really, all of those brilliant lights in the nighttime sky, you'd look upon them and you'd, you'd think about the power involved with staining each one. Of the, the, the power involved as they shine forth. All those billions and trillions of, of lights blazing there in the darkness. And you'd think about the might and the power involved in speaking them into existence and the, the wisdom and the genius of, of not only knowing each one, but even knowing their names. This is how great God is. Anyone, even a, a pagan or an unbeliever, they could, could look out on a, on a great, huge skyline in uh, maybe the country somewhere where they can really see the Milky Way and, and all those brilliant lights, and they will be humbled. They will be chastened when they would think about how puny we are on this tiny sphere. But how much, how much more so when we consider the greatness of the one who spoke those stars into being and that he would have regard for such as us. For that's how it continues. He, he speaks of all the brilliant stars, but then he speaks to his covenant people. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? So he asks the people of God to, to ask, why is it that they're so caught up with their own problems, their own worries? And, and he continues to expand upon the greatness of this God. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard of the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? Fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. All of these, these great attributes of God, he is everlasting. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. And yet this very same one has regard for sinners. He gives power to those who are faint. What an astonishing thing we see here. And and always, you know, it's, it's, it's not really profitable or edifying to just think about 
the, the attributes of God in the abstract, as though we could uh, treat the majesty of the great divine most high God as though he were but something to study in a, in a petri dish or in a laboratory. No, always in the scripture where the holy perfections of God are set forth, they are designed in order that we would fall down in dust and ashes, that we would cover our mouths and consider how small and insignificant we are. That is what I would also put to each one of you also this afternoon. You may have great problems and great weary worries. You may be wearied and bowed down with so many things. But let me tell you this, that if you would just think upon those problems, if you would just think upon those and all the different solutions and all the things that would go wrong and you would never look up, look up and consider the greatness of this God from whom come all things. And there really is, is no hope, no solutions. From, from this sort of blinkered view where we just look at our tiny little world and the shadows that are cast by our, our problems, they... They are things that seem very frightening. From the light of the Holy Scriptures, the greatness of God is unveiled, even if, even if we knew nothing else than, than God is so great. It would at least shock us and, and bring us into some kind of, of sensible reality that is sane, seeing that in comparison to His greatness, there is nothing that is too hard for him. So that in the, in the first place, we see the greatness of God in relation to all things. But let us consider also in the second place, the greatness of God in reconciliation. The greatness of God in reconciliation. Returning to our text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 18, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Here we, we see that Paul doesn't hold back from, from first casting our gaze upon the immense greatness of God, but then he considers this, consider the most great and grand thing that has ever been accomplished by this God, and that is he has reconciled his elect church unto himself. All things are of God, who hath, who has reconciled us to himself. And of course it is by Jesus Christ, and we will speak of that. But, but the point here is that all the work accomplished by Jesus Christ, it is here attributed to the Father of Jesus Christ. It is an act of God the Father. Everything Jesus ever did, everything he ever accomplished for the salvation of his people, it traces back to the love of God the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we do well 
to remember this congregation. Sometimes we're reading through the scriptures and we see much of the love of Christ and, and we do see how he appeases this, this holy Father. And yet it's, there's no lack of love in God the Father for sinners. No, indeed, there would be no salvation except that from eternity... God the Father had appointed that his Son should be sent into the world to be the Savior. And indeed, we would reflect upon anything that is great and lovely in Jesus Christ. It must bring us back to that origin and source of salvation in God the Father. But what is it that we see in this word reconciliation? We've Touched on it already in in this series, and we'll have much more to say in subsequent verses. But we must uh, see that the word reconciliation it speaks of bringing together those who are um, who are enemies. In the book of First Corinthians, in the seventh chapter, Paul speaks of this word in in the context of a marriage. But in a human marriage between a, a man and a woman, if that relationship is so badly disrupted, and it, the question becomes, is there a possibility for reconciliation? This is the case even, even among the, the household of faith. There, there can be a divide between even true Christians. There can be, be words spoken. There can be actions that bring bitterness or, or anger. And what the, the will of the Lord is in those situations is so plain. That there be forgiveness and reconciliation, the bringing together, the mending of relationship. You can understand that in the, the human sphere. But how great is this reconciliation which we see here? God reconciling hell-deserving sinners unto himself. We saw something of, of how that is a divine work also in the morning sermon. Now, the Christian is a new creation of God. He is one who is born of the Spirit of God and, and not of himself. But this is also emphasized in, in our verse where it is especially noted that it is God who does the reconciling. If you would consider how it is that you could bring yourself into communion with a holy God, you would be left without any possibility of hope. It is God who takes the action, and he takes it through Jesus Christ. And this reconciliation is is spoken of, I think, the most beautifully in the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 8. There we see the apostle speaks in this way. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is drawn out there? And if you would know a measure of the love of God for sinners, then just consider just the reality of that. Sinners. Have we come to grips with that? 
that those who have transgressed the law of God, those who have sinned away any possibility of friendship with the great, divine, holy one, yet while they have nothing to commend themselves, God commends his love towards them through the death and blood of his son. Jesus Christ is the love gift of the Father for a sinful humanity. He goes on, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Blessed word this. There is wrath that we deserve, but it is assuaged and turned away through the blood of a righteous substitute. That while we could never appease this wrath, there is one who has done it in our stead. And there is There is cleansing in that blood. There is forgiveness in that blood. And here in the death and blood of the Son of God, there is an open door which any sinner may walk through. There is that invitation that goes forth of reconciliation unto God. And I think uh, if we would understand something of the measure of of what is spoken of here. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The the next verse, I think, brings it out even more. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So it is not we who have made the atonement, not we who have given a gift that, that brings reconciliation. No, but we have received it. The faith of God's elect, it is the empty hand of a beggar that receives a free gift. But note this well. He says, it's not only, not only that the wrath is gone, not only so, he says in verse 11, but we also Joy in God. This is the the glorious truth of the gospel. That where we are found in Christ, where we have believed upon his name, then we are brought into the joy of God. There in communion with Christ and resting upon his perfect righteousness, we have the very same God who created all things, the God of infinite perfection, the God that we can never come to the end of the knowledge of, as very same God we may now joy in. That is what this reconciliation speaks of. If it was just a freedom from hell, just a, a, a removing of the punishment. And that would not be a true reconciliation. The reconciliation comes from having joy in another. 
there would be a, a hard word spoken between two friends and and then it would simply be said okay well i, I guess we've uh, we've patched up um that difficulty so we won't speak of it anymore that would be one thing but to have the fullness of that friendship brought back so that there can be joy in another that is the true sweetness of genuine forgiveness but infinitely greater with God because if there is some joy in being reconciled unto a spouse or a friend or a fellow Christian infinitely greater in being reconciled unto this God if we would joy in his wisdom joy in his power joy in his holiness and yes joy in his mercy the mercy and grace and power and wisdom revealed in his son Jesus Christ this is this is the greatness of this reconciliation congregation it's this that that is held forth before you and me also this afternoon the reconciliation unto god and i wonder if you've never experienced that do you understand what you are missing have you ever considered what it truly means to joy in god i think it was cs lewis who one time was was just marveling at the the things he used to take pleasure in before he was converted and and he would would sort of describe it like this you could imagine that there's just this child and and he he has this mud puddle that he's playing in and he's digging in in that mud and he's making mud pies and he he's doing this and and maybe that's all he knows maybe he knows what it is to take joy in that mud pie and and if you would say i need you to to come with me and leave your your mud he he might be very upset and say why are you taking away my joy but what if cs lewis said what if you instead of letting him play in that mud what if you were to take him on an outing to the beach all day leaving that small little confined space with the with the meager paltry pleasures of that mud pie and going out and and seeing the ocean seeing the sunshine seeing the seagulls flying a kite running and laughing that would be incomparably comparably greater for that little boy but if you could take everything that we take pleasure in whether it's it's um, entertainment whether it is relationship whether it is money whether it is this or that and and especially when we speak of the passing pleasures of sin and we would hold forth in comparison joying in this great god to be loved by him as a father and a friend to delight in him as the god of light and love and yet also at the same time to recognize him as a consuming fire of holiness he is not an idol that we can control but rather he is the infinitely great one and i'll tell you congregation we can never come to the end 
of joying in God. The small measure of joy that we might enjoy in this life and is not to be compared with the joy that yet awaits. This congregation is a great thing. It's a great thing that we must speak more of as we uh, near the end of this series. But I would say that if the Lord would take you before you would hear even another message, know this, God is great. He is great in relation to all things and great in his reconciliation. But you will never know the one without the other. You will be left totally blind to the greatness of God unless you know of his reconciling work in Jesus Christ. Let us take great care to ensure that that is our great occupation, that we would be consumed with it every day, and that in this way, God would be all and in all in us. Amen. In response to the message, let us sing from Psalter 367, stanzas 1 and 2.
Let us now pray. Great and mighty one, infinitely and perfectly great you are. We pray, O God, that this day, by the work of your Spirit and by the truth of your word, we would come to catch a glimpse of your greatness, not merely in relation to all things as creator, but also in relation to the work of redemption by your gospel promise. Please, O Lord, teach us the truth of these things and help us to truly receive it by faith. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. In response to the message, let a uh, response to the prayer, let us now sing from Psalter 367, stanzas 3 to 4. benediction we will sing stanza five of that psalm as our closing doxology now depart in peace and receive the blessing of the lord the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace amen